Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'd like to introduce uh, Gordon, our good friend from Dallas, from Galveston. Okay. Now, my name is Gordon, and I'm a sexaholic. And uh, like he said, you know, it's a spiritual program. Well, the whole of uh, my whole life is it was a spiritual program. I didn't know it, but I didn't start to growing until I got a spiritual experience and start learning from my mistakes. Uh, in 1960, my daddy passed away, and and uh, I figured he died of a, a broken heart. And, and I couldn't handle it. And, uh, I wound up three times in the strong room in the Marine Hospital. I drowned with alcohol. And the third time they wound up and sent me to the nut house. And the spiritual experience there was that all they had to do was put me in a ward with a bunch of people that didn't know one end from the other. And I could see that I was on a pity pot feeling sorry for myself, you know? Uh, and I got into the program, and I can look back on my daddy's death, and he did not die of a broken heart. He died because he retired and quit riding his bicycle. So I have a bicycle, and I ride it now, you know. It's a learning experience. Uh, I'm Mitch Kuyper's uncle, and he passed away the 27th of uh, April with AIDS. He, uh, seven years he had it. And I'm so grateful to be his uncle because I learned so much from him. Uh, I've seen so many, so many miracles, you know. Uh, I've learned to, uh, it's, it's like is a growing experience. I'm just here now and I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but as long as I can learn to enjoy today, uh, I'm alright. I got this here down here is, uh, boy, gotta run fast here. But anytime that, in my whole life, I got a bunch of, list there, every time I got into a jam, instead of having a spiritual experience, I changed my attitude, you know, like I wound up in the strong room and the uh, psychiatrist told me, he says, find yourself a good girl and you're not going to find her in the beer joint, and I said, well, I'm not looking for a good girl, I said, she has to be bad or I won't have nothing to do with her, and he said, well, you better change your attitude, you're going to wind right back up here, so I made all the bad girls good and I had a lot of fun doing it. And when I shipped out and went to sea, I didn't have that guilty feeling of doing anybody any harm. Uh, but it was the wrong course, you know. Uh, <laughs> I sobered up in, in July 10th, 78. And they asked me, uh, interviewed me and asked me if I'd be willing to bury my mother. And I said, well, my mother's been dead for nine years, you know. And that was the most intelligent question anybody ever asked me. Because all my core belief systems come from my mother. 
And I come to find out that she was God. That's why I couldn't accept God. And and once I got that out of the way, I was at a meeting the other day and a fellow had lost his mother. And uh, they had a life support system. They had to cut it off and they backed the daddy up on it all, you know, and he's crying. And, and uh, then come my turn to share at the meeting. I said, you know, a person isn't dead until they're forgotten. I said, my mother's here right now with me, you know. I don't know what happened to all the resentments and all the anger and all this, but it's gone. I had to get rid of that. And because I can see that, well, I knew that, never mind, I know a lot of things. She lost her daddy when she was 13 years old, and then she went and married my daddy, and she's jealous, possessive, domineering, you know. And I was my daddy's favorite, so I was on her list all my life. I could never do anything right. But it wasn't her fault because she didn't have a program, you know. I found the program, and all I have to do is take my mother's inventory, and I've got mine. It's beautiful, you know. i got a lot of work to do. Uh, I was 47 year, days in, in the treatment program, and, and while I was there, the spiritual experience, I was there three weeks, and uh, I got a three-day pass, and I went to a young people's meeting. Now, I don't know what took place in that meeting. I know now what... A lot of people, like you, were as honest about themselves, and I felt part of. But I woke up the next morning, and I'm singing a song, and I'm all alone. And I heard it described later that I woke up and said, Good morning, God. You know, instead of saying, Good God, it's morning. And that has been the strength that's kept me here. And when I lose that good morning, well, then I'm in trouble. Uh, Anyway, we'll get, we'll get on down here real quick, like, uh, in December of 92, I lost the good morning God. I lost the spirituality of the program. Uh, I was at a conference and I started bawling and I said, I've always been part of, and I was always on the outside looking in and, and I felt miserable. And I was scared to drive through Houston. I said, there's something wrong. That was in November. Well, December, it kept getting worse. So in December, I called the crisis line. And I checked into the hospital. And But people knew about my celibacy, and I'd get good advice from AA members. You know, my problem was that I had to go out and get fixed and get off that celibacy kick, you know. And I called the crisis line. I said, if I go back on any of my addictions, it'll be the same as committing suicide. And so they wound up and... Uh, I told them, you know, all my past history and all that stuff, and they had it. They had me down charged with disillusional disorder, and they put me on the antidepressant drugs. You know, now this is all spiritually. I didn't want them, but I wanted to stay alive. There was something wrong, and uh, it took them till uh, the 15th of uh, March to discover that. Uh, well, they sent me to have a head scan and a CAT scan. They found out I had a brain tumor. But Five of a golf ball right here on the top of the head. And the first of March, they operated and removed it. And But I had to get rid of that before I could get the good morning God back. But if I would have been satisfied with the uh, antidepressant drugs that they give me, I'd be dead now. But I wasn't happy without that good morning God. And I kept complaining, kept complaining, and kept complaining. But it, what it taught me is don't ever be judgmental of another person. Because he might have a brain tumor. <laughs> he might have a brain tumor. But people loved me when I couldn't, they accepted me. 
When I first got in the spiritual experiences, that I was at a meeting when I first, and I didn't know if I was here, there, or where, you know. And, and old John Cain, he had three years clean, and he said, put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, that's all right, son. He said, we're all just one drink away from being a drunk. And it made me feel part of, I was accepted. Somebody accepted me. Then I started to grow, but I had to find somebody who'd accept me first. And then when Neil Madlock said to me, he said, Gordon, he said, how long you been around? I says, uh, eight months and 15 days. And he says, uh, you know, he said, I think you're going to stick around long enough to find out how long it takes to have a baby. And I called him some real choice names, you know. And he says, uh, no, all kidding laid aside, he says, you've really grown. And I said, I don't think so. I said, I lost 50 pounds, but I haven't grown any. And he said, oh, yes, you have. He said, as much as you have grown, everybody around you has grown with you. Here's a man with 20-some years clean, you know. And I found out I was looking in the wrong place for my growth. So I looked into others to see the growth. I have it. If I can't see it in others, it isn't here. What I look for is what I get. There is no such thing as a free lunch. I had to quit being negative. I had to be positive. And uh, God has removed the lust from my mind. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. But if, uh, if lust comes in now, it's because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, I go to a conference, uh, an NA conference in uh, Lake, Lake Whitney, and I didn't want to go there. I was there the first one they had, and I was still going to see, and I told them, you know, if you go to see and you use drugs, you take your Siemens papers. So what am I doing there? But I was going into the NA for my sexual addiction, you know, and I told them my core addiction is sex. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people identified with me. The only reason they, they used drugs was to quiet their emotions, you know. Anyway, uh, a few years later, I didn't want to go to that conference. And uh, I'm down in Galveston, and, and that sexual urge started coming over me. And I said, okay, God, I'll go. And then it left, you know. And I got up there, and uh, the stopping at a men's meeting was, how many believes in celibacy? And a whole bunch of them raised their hands. How many have been celibacy for one year? And I hope one of them raised their hand. They said, how many have been celibacy for one year without masturbating? And I was able to tell them the bottom that I hit, you know. And it isn't very pretty, you know. It didn't come easy. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I reached out for help. And I got a bottle. Uh, I didn't bring it with I got it out in the car, but I don't have enough time. But a bottle with a cork, and I shoved that cork all the way. As long as the cork's in the top of the bottle, it's doing something. You're content, you know. But when you go too far over, the cork goes all the way into the bottle. And you're hooked up in your, you're hooked in the snare. You know, you go for the snare, you're in there. Now, the only way that I could get out of that bottle is yell for help. And some of you over here in an SA meeting heard me, and they come along with a 12-step pennant, you know. They said, what's the trouble? I said, I got problems I don't know what to do with. And so they lowered that rag down there with the 12-step pennant row down there, and I catch that cork up in that rag, and they pull that cork right out of the bottle. But I couldn't do it myself. 
Uh, I was at Wichita at the conference. They had a workshop on uh, release from the snare. And I said to the fellow, he got me to share it. I said, where did you get this? He said, I thought it'd be a good subject. I forgot the Wichita before. I'd had that bottle and I showed him, but I didn't think about it as a snare and all this, you know. So I says, uh, well, okay, I'll see what happens. So another fellow from Chicago, uh, Kansas City, he said, in a snare, there's a bait. And you go for the bait, you get caught in the snare. And the only way you can get released from that snare is get somebody else to release that trap. So you can get out. And that's what we come here for, is to get out of the trap that we was in. But somebody else has to release that trap. We need a living example to follow. Uh, and on a ship, and the chief engineer on there, we was sharing bits of wisdom, and uh, I was introducing them to the 12-step program, and I sent them the one about troublemakers are our teachers, you know, and I got that all wrote out, and he come back with a note, and he said we ought to castrate them and hang them, you know, and I just looked at him like he was crazy, you know, and shook my head and walked off. About an hour later, he gives me this piece of paper. Now, if I would have accepted the first thing, I'd never got the beauty here. Whether knowingly a knowledge or not, you are a servant of the Almighty. He directs all things. This explains why plus and negatives exist at all times. However, it is only natural to cancel out a negative with a positive from time to time. In this manner, a destructive force is eliminated. It can be any kind of force. You know? And and I'm going to close with this. Is it not true that we make a friend? We don't... Uh, that we... It's not true that we destroy an enemy when we make him a friend. Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. And now we'll hear from Harvey A. from Nashville. Hi. I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. You know, talking about spirituality as a separate topic here uh, made me think a great deal about how can I talk about spirituality as a separate topic. Uh, because all weekend we've been talking about spirituality. And I was told many years ago, there is no spiritual part to this program. It's a spiritual program. And so when thinking about talking about spirituality, I thought rather I'd share with you a few things recently that to me is spirituality. I want to start with yesterday when I heard Mike from Oregon talk about his son coming to his house drunk and stoned and yelling at the front of the yard to come out as he wanted to beat him up, and how maybe a year before Mike would have gone out and really got into it with him. Instead, this time, he went out and he held him and hugged him. And the young man's been sober ever since. Spirituality is when 
I was in London last October, and I went to an SA meeting, and it was a small group of SAers, and what did they do for their program? But they read from the blue book, and I saw the blue book, and I said, I'm not going to tell these people my stories in the big, in that blue book, because that would be ego. And so they're reading it, and all of a sudden I start bawling and weeping at the meeting. Not only were they reading the blue book, they were reading someone I sponsored story. And all of a sudden, I shared with them finally. I want you to know I'm experiencing the 11th step. You know, why did I have to be the low life and do that low life living I had to do? Why did I have to do every one of those low down things? Why? Because God's will for me was that Four or five thousand miles away, someone might have their life saved from reading something that happened about me. And that was, for me, spirituality. Spirituality is when I go every Wednesday night to be with my mother who had stabbed me when I was a child. It's when I listened to her and care about her and some months ago went and made us, it was a, uh, our Sabbath and I went from services to, uh, her house and she said, what are you doing here? And I said, I just came to hold you, mom. I have a feeling you don't get held very much. And she froze up and I went and I held her and she doesn't hug me or kiss me or tell me she loves me, basically. But I held her and I said, bye, mom. And the next week when I saw her and she saw me, she was, she cried to, to let me know she couldn't believe I did that. Spirituality is when I think my wife's wrong with something she said and I can keep my mouth shut. <laughs> now, I always don't do well in that spiritual level. And spirituality is what I saw yesterday when we gave a standing ovation to Iris and Lord. It's something that I experience, not something I know. And in putting all this together, I felt I wanted to read to y'all something from Bill's story. He said, simple but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant 
destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. The destruction of self-centeredness. To me, that's at the core of my spirituality. But how does one do that? How does one do that? Bill's story tells us that three paragraphs before, he just says it. He says that within the day he was at the hospital, he did his steps. He he took care of his character defects by acknowledging them. And then he asked them to be removed. And then he made his amends. It's that process that permits me to have my spiritual awakening. And what are those spiritual awakenings for me? It's to see God when Roy and was hugging Iris. And to see God when Mike was telling us about holding his son. And it was to love my mother unconditionally. Because today she's a paralyzed woman, 82 years old. You know, she's not that woman when I was 15 who did what she did. And if she were, I'm not that boy. You know, I can see that. And how do I get the steps? How do I learn these things? Not by studying. It doesn't work that way. I once said to my sponsor, who had 29 years of recovery, gee, Cherry, when you went to AA, there were only three meetings a week. And I go to 12 or 14 meetings. Well, I have what you have in that quicker period of time. And he just laughed. You know, his answer was, nope. (laughs) I won't even have it after 29 years. But um, he said, no, it just takes time. And what, what does the time Include It includes letting God talk through you to me. Uh, I have to hear me through you. I had to be taught in Rochester many years ago about loving my mother unconditionally from a woman who spoke about how she had been incested for years by her brother, Her mother knew about it. She had to separate from them both as it was even going on in adult life. She had to separate herself from both. And one day she learned that her mother was dying on her deathbed from cancer. And she went to her mother's bed in the hospital. And she held her mother 
and told her mother all the things she had always hoped her mother would tell her. She instead told her mother. Do you know how many times I've told that story at SA, at AA? Why? Because it's part of me today. It's inseparable, that story. Just like other things you've taught me. You know, there are people in this room, you know, I have learned so much from. And so, I'm going to keep coming back. Um, I'm going to keep traveling as best I can. Um, I'm going to pray about it, but I'm still afraid of earthquakes, so I don't know if I'll be in L.A. Uh, but, you know, some are sicker than others, and uh, I still have certain phobias, but that's who I am today. Maybe it will pass, especially if I talk about it. You know, I'm traveling to the tropics, and as you all know, I've had terrible leprosy phobias. You know, my chances of meeting lepers, you know, unbelievable. Uh, I read Roy's article, and he used the word leper colony, and I thought I'd die that the word was in there. This I'm so phobic. And, uh, uh, and now I could say the word, and I go to the tropics. We traveled to the tropics. We traveled all over. Someday... You know, I might be a leper. I might go to India. You never know. That's the miracle of this program. So I might end up in L.A. one day. But uh, so thank you and thank you for giving me my life. You know, and uh, and I never cease. You know, there's a gal, Jean, who was here a lot, and she used to say, you know, I'll never be sufficiently grateful. I will never be sufficiently grateful enough that God chose Roy to do this through as a vessel. And I know he's just a vessel because I'm just a vessel in Nashville. So I understand the vessel stuff. I understand just doing this stuff. But man, am I appreciative. And I never could verbalize it until... Someone came up to me who I care about in SA program in Nashville a year after my operation and said to me how glad he was I was alive. You know, who would have thought my life would ever be that way? And so thank you for, for letting me be so happy I'm alive another year since my surgery and to be part of this wonderful fellowship. Thank you. Thank you very much, Harvey. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.